You may not control all the events that happen to you, but you can decide not to be reduced by them. Maya Angelou Bending Not Breaking Episode 6 Imprisoned back again for another episode of Bending Not Breaking, episode 6, Imprisoned, and I am Alex Mayfield, or Sunshine Mayfield, however you want to call me, and I'm with my co-host. My name's Ben. Ben Pruitt, back again, and we are looking at this episode of, of Bending Not Breaking. Uh, we're going through the lens of control and the role that that plays in things, and so that'll be the lens we're looking at today's episode through. This was an interesting episode for me. I, yeah, a lot happens. There's a lot that goes down in this, and I think that this is going to be a really fun one to dive into, especially through this lens. And we also get a nice little voice cameo from George Takei, which I think is fun. Yeah. Um, I don't know if any other people think it's fun, but I think it's fun. Um, yeah, who's that? Uh, Star Trek, Star Wars, some one of those. Oh. Harry Potter, I think. Huh. Yeah. What does he do in that? Uh, in Harry Potter, uh, I think he was a Mandrake. Oh no, that's I, I don't. That's not true. But great. Star Trek is really what he's from. And what was his voice in this? He played the warden uh, on the ship. Great. So it's a fun little voice cameo. Um, but it is my turn for the we recap. Ooh, the dwindling luck. word recap. So we are down to now. Um, I have 15. fifteen words to go with, and so here is my recap of today's episode. Heroes help earthbenders who have been captured by Fire Nation give credit to Katara. She definitely gets all the credit. She gets majority of the credit. This is not an episode about Aang. Nope. But I mean, like, he helps. Sure. Sokka helps. Um, Sokka, I think, comes up with the idea for most of, like, the... Well, and they couldn't have done the, it without Aang. They couldn't yeah. have done it without Sokka. Yeah. But Katara is Sok definitely, like, the... The driving force. Yeah. She is the leader of this project of rescuing these individuals. And so let's just jump right into it. We start, huh, silly me. My computer's making noises. I, that is, was stupid. Rude. Yep. So hold on, before you go into like what happened in the episode, I think we gotta go with the intro here. Cause I, I watch the intro every week and see if like, does that play a role here? And so Katara's telling us, you know, within the intro every time, depend like i wonder if she has a little bit if the this world has a little bit too much dependence on the avatar like ang holds a lot of control that i don't think he realizes he has and he never exercises that control just kind of given to him but it's just given to him you got to be the one that balances out the universe yeah like and i just think like you're gonna save us all. I think does, and I and I, I'm genuinely asking this: does does he need to realize that he has that control before he can actually save the world, or is that is? I just, I, what do you think about that? I don't know if he does. I don't know if the. I think of almost like when I think of leaders, people who didn't realize they had control or had as much value in the moment, but when you kind of look back on it, 
you think of like, oh, that person played a massive role in that. They probably didn't realize that at the time or the power or the control that came with that. Um, well, and so it's probably second... helpful to know, know yeah, and understand well, that's, the that's control. That's my follow-up you know. question is, do you think Aang would act differently if he were aware he had so much control? Um, and maybe he is, but like, if, you, if, if he was really aware of how much control he had, do you think he would act differently? Yes. Yes, I think that would drastically change his, his outlook and view. I think because he, I think he knows that he has a burden. I don't think he understands the amount of control comes with that. Yeah. Um. But I think that if he did, he probably would. Like anybody, I wonder if that would change the like playful nature that he takes in his outlook as he goes through all of this. So interesting. You yeah. do a better job of watching the intro and like thinking of the through the lens. I normally am like getting settled and getting my note taking items I mean, in front of me. Out of the you know four times I watch the episode, I'm gonna watch, <laughs> I'm gonna watch <laughs> the intro at least once. Yeah. Um. And so we so we start and our heroes are um scrounging up nuts for dinner. Um. Specifically Sokka. Let's be clear because it's not the other two that are scrounging up nuts. Yeah. Sokka is getting the nuts and. Katara doesn't want to eat nuts, well, and how interesting is like so Sokka's in control of dinner here. Yep. Right, and so and then Katara and Aang complain about the fact that they have to eat these nuts, and they make jokes about it. But like, why then is Sokka in control of dinner? Is it because it's his night, and or is that because that's his job? But like, that that control kind of implies dependence, or being in control has a sense of independence and so like it seems like they're dependent on Sokka in this moment and when he doesn't pull through with something that is satisfactory they complain about it right do you think that is done in a way to kind of bring some control back to themselves and to have more control that's exactly what I think it is yeah. I think it's like I want more control of this situation so I'm going to crack, know, jokes, crack jokes even though I don't I could also go help yeah, and like, take more control that way. And it seems like that would be way more productive. Right. Like, <laughs> But I'm going to sit back and I'm going to crack jokes. That way I can take back the control from you, make you feel well, less. And I just think, as I think about like passive-aggressive behavior in general, I wonder if that is happening because they want to feel a little bit of control, even though it's outside of their control, potentially. Yeah. It's an interesting thought. Thank you. Yeah. And then we hear a huge boom out in the forest. Boom. And they run to it. Well, I want to talk about Momo's sense of control here. Okay. Because Momo is like trying to break open this nut and or rock. We don't know what it is. But Momo bangs it. And at the same time, it seems, that is when we hear this boom. And so Momo's like, huh? And like does it again is like am, am I in control of this massive power? Realizes very quickly he is not. <laughs> yeah, it eventually realizes that he is not. But at the same time, I'm like, isn't that interesting? Like, am do I have this awesome power that I can control, or was it like, oh my god, is this like a terrible thing that I have control over? Is this this nut? Is this nut that has all the control over that? Like, I'm. It's interesting for me to think about like how that animal reacts in that moment. Yeah, I, I wonder, because do we act differently when we have perceived control? Yes, I think we do. And, and <laughs> what does that look like? Or, you know, oh, this, this object has control, and when we pass control off to inanimate things that we can't 
see or touch and what that does to our lives. I don't know. They hear boom. Sokka doesn't want to run to it. He says, that's not what you're supposed to do. Well, again, he assumes it's a threat, right? And, mm-hmm. and again, I feel like Sokka, throughout the next couple of scenes, he's like trying to hold the group back and he's trying to maintain control and they just blatantly disregard him, right? So like, we have to be careful. We don't know if this guy is safe or not. And then Katara's like, hi! Yep. Right? And he so right he's, just try- he's trying to keep everybody safe and maintain control and they just blatantly disregard that. And I wonder how that makes him feel. Yeah, and we start to see him later in the episode. You know, they get to a moment where they're in the village and they're about to go to bed. And I can't remember exactly what the word is, but Sokka honestly puts his foot down and says, like, no, we have to leave in the morning first thing because yep. the Fire Nation is close on our tails. Like, we're that's what we're doing. Yes. Um, and so at certain points when the safety becomes a factor, he is no longer willing to kind of put up with oh let's go do the side thing he's like no we are leaving first thing in the morning for our own personal safety and and then we see other things kind of push that off course but and i wonder if it's comforting for him to be in control because like oh can't we sleep in right that's the that's what they're talking about right that you're, that you're referencing and so like oh can't we sleep in at as if he were the leader of the group right they right. give that to him they are like willingly giving him that in this moment and i like they could easily i don't think that any one of them is in control and frankly if it's one of them i would assume it's ang mm-hmm. right but they have a very interesting dynamic where control shifts between the three of them depending on what they're talking about and what oh well like, yeah they're, like who is in control of what mm-hmm. and i find it really interesting dynamic because like how much of it is like is it for comfort is it for like i is it a trust thing that i want you to control this because this is where your strengths lie like i and that's almost what it feels like right it almost that's what it feels like because you wouldn't think that Sokka is the one who is kind of the the record keeper and the rigid one but out of the three of them he's probably most best suited to being he's the more militant one right and so he's the one that is best suited to say like this is what our calendar needs to be. And, like, yes, we have areas where we can kind of give and take on that, but we've got to go first thing in the morning because Fire Nation's on our heels. So they hear the boom. They go. Katara introduces herself to the bender. Dude runs because he's been seen bending, but they're very confused as to what this is. And I think that's an act of control as well. Like, he feels unsafe, and he feels like the safest thing for me to do right now, for me to maintain control, because I might get a sin away, Mm -hmm. is I need to run. Yep, I'm going to throw these rocks behind me and I'm going to book it. Right? And I think, I, I wonder if, where this is, and this is where I want to reference a little bit of vulnerability here, like, Haru has the option, and that, that's his name, we, we learn in a minute, is he has the option to stay and be a little bit vulnerable in this moment. And odds are, he could have explained to them before he ruined it with his mom that he's an earthbender and that's, I, I was nervous who you were because... And that ability to explain himself would have prevented what happens next. Mm-hmm. Right? So when, and again, like, how do we how do we gauge? He's probably learned that throughout his entire life that he if has you, to hide if it. If someone sees you earthbending in this village in the past five years... You're gone. You're gone. Right? And so, so you can't let anybody know. And apparently, like, yes. I, I just think that his learned behavior has taught him that he's he cannot... And he has to maintain control by hiding it. Yep. Whereas in this moment, 
it would have benefited him not to do so. Yeah, but over time, I mean, I I think he makes the right move, right? If that was any sure. other situation, because yeah. out of the entire, out of all the strangers that you could come across in that village, it is unlikely that it is going to be the Avatar and two water like a waterbender and people who are going to be supportive of this. Yeah. Um, statistically, very unlikely. Yes. So Haru uh, enters his house. Katara sees this. Aang reveals that they saw him earthbend. Um, well, and he denies it. And, like, he definitely, like, and Aang, Katara, and Sokka clearly don't pick up on the clues that he's laying down. Right. Like, he is clearly trying to avoid them. He is clearly trying to say that, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And they're not, they're not grappling with that. Nope. And so, I wonder, what's, like, Why? Why are they not picking up on those cues? And how does that have to do with control? Because I feel like, like, is that an act of defiance? that They pick up on that cue and say, no, I know what I saw. I'm going to stay in control of me right now. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to address it and confront this. Well, because he immediately says, and we, this goes back to the last episode. He goes, they're crazy. Like, they don't know right. what they're talking about. Look and at so what they're at, wearing. And so at that point, you, I think you, to gain control over the situation again, you're going to go, uh-uh, and I'm going to prove that I'm not, like, I'm not crazy. By throwing them under the bus. I'm going to throw you under the bus and say, like, credibility. and I'm going to say, nope, you are, I, you were wrong, I saw you do this. And that's a really good point, because when we try to assume control, sometimes we do it at the expense of so, others. Yep. Right? And this is clearly at the expense of others. He's calling them crazy. He's saying, hey, look at their clothes. They're clearly not from here. Like, we should shun them. And I just... When they do it right... I mean, they do it right back and intentionally throwing him under the bus, but they're going... They are going to build credibility back in themselves and take the control. Yeah. And thus, he is now going to get in trouble and punished for what's going on. It really brings up for me, like, questioning how often I have thrown somebody under the bus while acting out of self-preservation. Mm-hmm. Like I just and it makes me nervous because I know that I'm, I'm I know that I've done it and I just I can't, I don't remember it, but I I it makes me nervous. Well, I I can think of times where I've done it intentionally, um, and it was a weighing the risk reward of. I know that this is going to affect the other person, but like so an example of this was, um, I was with another an employee and it became a. Uh, when I was working one job. They made a decision that was very poor. That was getting pushed onto me. And so it was a moment of saying, I'm gonna I had to take control of the situation and say, I'm going to shed the truth and tell what's going on. Um, and I knew that it was gonna negative negatively affect them, but I wasn't I, out of my own self preservation and needing to keep that job, it that quickly became a either I'm gonna lose my job or they are, and so I made that decision. And so that happened intentionally. Well, and I think about like, I think for me that that seems valuable because you have a boundary in in place where you want your workplace to perceive you as doing your work, right? Not negative work of someone else. Yeah. And I think that's a healthy boundary to have. I think for me, what I'm worried about is the times when I've done it in out of self-preservation that is simply where it's not for the greater good, right? where it's not a healthy boundary. And I think that I'm, I'm just, this is going to make me think about that a little bit more. Yeah. And so 
mom, Haru's mom goes, ah, I, you know that you can be in trouble for this. And then immediately there's a knock on the door. It's the Fire Nation. And we're wondering, like, is he already, uh, getting, is he picked already getting picked up for right. this? He's not. But it is this, like, mafia feel of, like, we're taxing you. Yeah. Oh, we're paying for your, like, keeping you safe. And this fire is so tough to control. Oh, it oh. happened again. If you... The words it's, in the episode. Yeah, it, it's, uh, oh... So tough to control this fire, and uh, if you don't pay us double what you're normally paying us, this fire could just run rampant. And so that we get to see for the very first time in this episode, but it will happen over and over again, fear is used as a control tactic. Well, yeah. And how frequently do we see that all the time? Well, I think it's also just so degrading that he's like, I, I don't need the copper ones. Right, and he you like, keep she, those. Yeah, you keep the copper like pennies, like uh, what I would equate them to. Mm-hmm. Right, and and I think that clearly bullying is, in the true sense of the word, is happening. Well, because bullying is always a power dynamic, right? Yes. Like I think sometimes and, we like and used over time. Yeah, right for control. It's not one instance. It's a continuous power dynamic where we are putting one person down and. It's, this is clearly an instance of bullying. Yep, and so we see fear used as this as control tactic, and it happens more and more over the episode, but how often do we kind of see, like, I, you have to let me do this because if you don't, these are the consequences. Whether or not Whether those consequences... Whether or not consequences, true. Yep, right? exactly. And so perception, this perception of loss of control, or that's what I wrote, is it a perception of loss of control or is it an actual loss of control? And so, like, they can clearly, they could do something. They can do something. But it would be futile in this moment. And so this reminds me of throwback to episode one or two where Grand Grand is, it's futile to resist this Fire Nation ship that's coming on to take this 10-person village, mm-hmm. right? But we learned that with a little inspiration, things can change. Like Aang has the opportunity here to make a difference right and mm-hmm. he has the power to make a difference and he has the perception of control where he believes he can make a difference as does katara mm-hmm. right and so this perception of like i can make a difference changes whether they can or not yep and so i truly believe like there's this mind bending that's happening from the fire nation where we are truly demoralizing and taking control by changing the narrative and convincing them that it's true and I think that that's so much more dangerous than any physical control that could happen. Yeah, it's it really is what is, I think of it as like, what is the role of hopelessness play into our actions and, and the, what we have? If we, if we truly believe we don't have control, we are never, even if we do, or we have instances that they exist, we will still never act on them. There's a great story. Uh, about a guy who encountered a math problem. He came into a... a, um, He was testing, I think, at Harvard, and he goes into the test room late, and he's like, can I still take the test? And so there's six problems on his test, and then there's two on the board. And he tries, and he worked really hard, and he could not finish the two that were on the board. And he asked the professor, thinking, like, it's a long shot, but I, I gotta at least ask, can I have more time to work on these final two questions that are on the board? And he's like, sure. And so he's like, really? Okay. And so he goes home, works hours, and only can solve one of them. 
He turns it in. He's like, man, I'm never going to get a job that I need. This is back in the Depression era. Mm -hmm. And he finds out afterwards that this was a problem that was impossible to solve. That's It was labeled as impossible to solve. And the professor said, no matter how well you do on your test, remember that these two have been tossed around by mathematicians for years and they're impossible to solve. And he solved one mm-hmm. because he didn't know that it was impossible. Right. Right. And so that perception changed. And like he went on to be a very, like he taught school. He was a huge deal in the math department. And that's a true story. And it's, it's interesting to me because it was all about perception. Everybody else didn't try nearly as hard as he did simply because they learned that it was impossible and it was labeled that way. Mm-hmm. And so how does that change how much effort we put in? And I just think that we've got to, again, hark back to last episode where creativity happens if we're not, like, if we're locked in and we don't believe that it will make a difference, then we're not going to try. So... Long rant, sorry. No, but uh, incredibly important, I think, is uh, completely applicable to this episode. And so then we get to a place where um, the Fire Nation leaves, and we find out that earthbending is forbidden. Mom expresses fear over losing Haru when Katara questions her, like, why would you not want your son to do this? And Mom actually says, earthbending has been nothing but trouble. And so part of this goes, at a certain point, the Fire Nation has controlled the narrative so much in this that Mom is equating the trouble that's going on in her village to earthbending. Mm-hmm. When that's she not would actually still have the, her husband, she would still have. If it weren't for earthbending, yeah. when the reality is, no, if the Fire Nation wasn't right? there, but again, it's the narrative, and because they are able to control that story, Mom is equating all of this pain to this tool that they have that could be so good, and when reality is that it's not actually that tool's fault, it's the people who are creating the story around that tool oh god that's terrifying um and so why does she blame bending instead of the fire nation and i think it is because of the control of the story and the narrative around it i agree and she feels the hopelessness in blaming the fire nation she is gaining control by blaming it on something that she can equate it to because it is useless to her to blame it on the fire nation because that doesn't solve anything. But if I can blame it on bending, we can stop bending. I can control that. That's fair. Yeah. Um, I just thought that was a super interesting really point. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and so they leave. Uh, Haru tells Aang that they have a place to stay for the night. Um, they try to control Appa and say he can't eat all the hay. Well, so that I also wrote that down. He says, does Aang actually have control over Appa? eating all the hay because he says I'll keep him from eating all the hay and Appa looks at him with hay in his mouth and then continues to eat the hay well I I believe that Appa is pretty sentient yes like he knows what he's doing yeah oh yes I think that Aang can communicate with both Momo and Appa in a way that like they know right and so I believe that he can and Mm. you know and so that's that's my perception so how often do we and then, so my question with that is, how often do we take control over things that we actually don't aren't equipped to control? You're arguing that he is. Well, and but I I'm think, bringing this up as a, like, theoretical, like, how often do we say, like, oh, I can do that, even though we might not be able to? And what, what role well, does that play in our lives? Well, I think it relates to 
trust here because so Aang has a lot of trust in Appa and I think that's the deal here right if he if Appa was not trustworthy you're right Aang doesn't have control like like Appa would just get defiant for a minute and eat all of the hay mm-hmm. then Aang doesn't have control but I think it's a matter of trust so yes I think that sometimes we misplace our trust and we lose and we say we have control over something when we really don't but what we're doing is we're again opening us up to being vulnerable in that moment when we assume control of something we don't actually have control over. Mm-hmm. Moving forward, we Haru tells them they have a place safe for the night. We have the Appa incident, and then Haru explains uh, that the Benders were captured and how Benders connect. Yeah, and um, they were fighting back ten to one back in the day. Yep. Right, and so they were. They, their parents were fighting for control because back then it was worth it. Yep, and they had, and this is Haru and Katara off on like. They're walking. They're yeah. going on a nice little, like, what could be, like... Is this a romantic it, stroll? We don't know. It doesn't feel that way, but it de- there's there's a huge emotional connection piece because in this moment, Haru trusts Katara enough to open up. He's like, man, bending is the only thing that gives me and connects me to my dad, which is what a powerful, vulnerable moment of resonance yeah. because Katara feels very similar into the way that she's connected to her family um and at this point they are very much kindred spirits and in, mm-hmm. in the way that they are living in the world um and you don't share something like that unless there's innate trust that someone's going to respect you feel that, safe and you feel safe to do so but what a connecting moment for that and had that connecting moment not happened we might not have seen the same response to katara that katara gives after she finds out that her Uru gets taken by the Fire Nation. After... That's fair. That's actually a good point. Um, after there's a miner that it's down, Haru says there's nothing I can do, there's nothing that goes on, has to weigh the pros and cons. Katara says there is something you can do. He earthbends to save the miner. Yep. Miner runs back to the city and everyone's super stoked. Miner as in one who mines, not a miner as in a young child. No, very old man. Very old man. Very old miner. Yep. So, um, an elderly miner. So he goes back to the village. They would they go back. They crash for the night. This is where we get that moment where you know we're leaving. We're leaving in the morning. We have to. Um, the Fire Nation's right on our tails. And then we get this elderly miner comes back with the Fire Nation and says, "That's the Bender." Yeah, and I just he's this is an Earth Kingdom member this yes. is not a member of the fire nation this he is, is ratting out another he's one of his yep. one of his own and he he's doing it what i perceive to be to like maintain like he's doing it for his safety and he has to control his safety this is similar to like your story about work yeah like he was so convinced that if he didn't share and they found out that he knew it was it was going to be him it was him who was going to get hit yep and so he was so worried about his own safety that he acted in this way. And either that, or like maybe there was a big reward, or but I genuinely believe that he was trying to control his so, sense of safety. Yep, I think URT is taking some form of control, whether it is safety or to gain access to other things. But it, it, it was to be able to, you, if you are hopeless for so long, or to, are you grasping at anything yeah. that you can grasp to? And this um, is what I'm to gain control. About. Back. I'm worried that I have done something like where I was so 
unaware or so convinced that this was necessary, but honestly, I, I it wasn't. I just, it makes me nervous. I keep coming back to that. But. Well, then, I mean, you know, what are, again, goes back to the, the how does fear yeah. really affect the way that we do it? Fear is an incredibly powerful control tactic. Um, yes, it is. And that's why we see it so frequently now. And so we see that here. He's so scared of what might happen. Mm-hmm. He's grasping for control. And so he writes out. And so Katara wakes up and sees mom crying. crying. She's She does her little bending. She bends some water into the, into the container. She's taking water back. And she is, because of the resonance and connection she felt with Haru, is loses all control and drops. we see that visually because yeah. she drops control of the container and it shatters um so we see a visual action of her losing control yeah as in this moment happens and she says we've got to do something well and so what she also says is that it's it's all my fault yeah she says i made him do it i made him do that so like do you think it's arrogant for her to believe that she had that much control over haru well and so i I, part of it is she you know she says like he wouldn't have done it with if i wasn't there to egg him on um which is honestly maybe true sure um and so is that her and again it goes back to why is blame getting placed in certain places against where it should be which is it is not her fault the fire nation took him it is the fire nation's fault that they took him like it's it's one of my favorite quotes from harry potter in book five where dumbledore says i will not be so arrogant to assume that it was entirely my fault that this x y and z happened yeah but like i i that really resonates with me because there are so many times where like it's all my fault and it's it's not you had a portion you were responsible for your part in that not the entire thing right right and i think that's you were responsible for talking to haru about this but it was haru's decision to do this he, and was the right decision and it, i believe i agree right like right and so it was one of those things where like but it was his decision you influenced him, but you did not cause this. Right. Right? And so I think that sometimes we really assume too much that we have, I think we assume we have more control than we actually do, and I think that's to our detriment when it comes to influencing other people mm-hmm. and their decisions. Because I think that that narrative that she has, yes, it inspires her to do something good, but I also think that in several instances across like other people experiencing situations like this that it also defeats them Mm -hmm. so now because you don't have hope you are less likely to act on it because you are so and you're so scared of failure and you're so scared of acting again and it like it is i think that's a dangerous slippery slope yeah so you got to be able to share that you can't yeah Yeah, you can't blame is not all yours and you need to be able to accept that and own your part right but because that allows you and at a certain point she gets to that point where we can do something about this and so then we get um so i'm I'm she starts she starts the plan the the plan comes into place which is um to make her look like a bender we have another moment where momo um is has perceived power um twice this because Oh my um, god, the lemur's earthbending. Earth <laughs> no, uh, and so because Aang uses air bending to push this rock, 
that's sitting over a vent, um, and they then take Katara in to this ship, um, and then we get. So I have a question: mm -hmm. Why is Aang so aloof here? Why is he not paying attention and focused? He's so aloof. Like he's so not focused on this this thing. Like does he not care? Is it like I'm I'm very genuinely curious about why he's so out of it in this moment. Like he's in this episode. Yeah, like he's not <laughs> well, like especially though in this moment he just doesn't care. He, like he's late, he doesn't pick up on the cues. He like what what what's your perception on that? I have no idea. Um and I think really enough like I didn't even it didn't even cross my mind as like a question to ask and I wonder if that is just because of my perception of Aang as a character and like I believe that he's always intending to do good and so but he's also playful and well and I, I wonder if is Aang glad in this moment that he gets to not feel the burden yeah for a little someone bit. else is taking that someone on. someone else is driving the ship for a minute and so he's like I get to check out yeah I'm gonna not I get to do what I want for what and then is that dangerous? Yeah. Like, and so, well, and just like for people, like if you don't have purpose or something driving you forward, um, even in times of relaxation, if there's not intention behind it, does that cause destruction or can it? I don't know. And that might be a stretch, but yeah, it's an interesting question for and sure. So in this fight that, this fake fight that Katara and Sokka are having, like, oh my god, you have big ears. Like, elephants could get shade under those ears. And so Sokka's like, hey, back off. No, no, but really, back, back off. Back off. <laughs> um, and I think that it's really interesting because at the end of that, Sokka makes fun of Momo's ears. Again, to to gain back control of the yes, situation. I'm exactly. going to throw someone else under the bus because I want to be more And more I think control. that's such a good illustration of we are most judgmental of others in areas where we are susceptible to shame right right so in the instance so he, for his ears he's going to pick on someone else's ears because in comparison exactly he he can feel better about himself and i i just i think judgment is something we really have to pay attention to when we feel loss of control because that's where we are most likely to be judgmental of others is when we have a perceived loss of control and cut deep like we've seen it a couple times but specifically in this moment like he likes momo yeah like they're close brought him food but he is willing to cut deep there and of course it's an animal and so like does it really doesn't really cut deep yeah. but if, but we do that to people all the time yes. our friends because absolutely you know we are mo like it's with our friends and family that we are most likely to offend and hurt because we have this built-up trust with them yeah so when they break it it hurts that it hurts much more yep. and so it's like oh god there's just it's just again and it feel and again we lose that much more control in exactly. those situations. Yeah, um, we get onto the onto this brig that is a, a prison, thus the episode name where people are imprisoned, um, and is. we get our first George Takei moment as the warden, and he starts saying all of these things like I am just and I am a great yes, person like, and ruling by fear through the guise of hospitality. Yeah, which we've seen before as well um, from Commander Zhao the first time that exactly is yes. I, I am. Look at how just I am, and a guy sneezes and he immediately says, "How rude of you for sneezing!" Quickly and harshly dealt with. Yep, you go into solitary for a week, which I have other questions about in the uh, later episodes uh, or later uh, in this episode, but. He goes into solitary for a week. 
Um, well, and we also see right before this that calling back to Aang's aloofness, like he is now worried because Katara is under Fire Nation control. Yeah. And I wonder if that change where now he's like, oh no, like what if Katara, and I think that is that what then brings him back in. Yep. Right? And so just to... It's that of... connection piece. He didn't have a, a strong connection with Aru. Exactly. But Katara goes under and he's ready to jump in. So just to bring some closure to that conversation. Yeah. And the warden starts walking them through the the brig and immediately is crafting the narrative of you are you should be hopeless because... It's impossible to escape. It's impossible here. to escape. Everything's metal. You can't earthbend. You can't do anything. He probably would be aware that Cole is able to be earthbent. Um, the miners in the village are mining coal. Right. right? And so, like, he knows <laughs> so. that that's what they're moving and that they're great for that. But again, if it's crafted as a narrative of you're hopeless, even though the hope is right there in front of them the whole time, they aren't able to do anything with it. Well, and there are so many narratives that exist that are controlling us that I don't think we realize. For instance, like the beauty industry, right? They are controlling our society through all the advertising, all the like commercials, boards, magazines, etc. Controlling the narrative of what you are supposed to look like. Right. Right. And what you are supposed to look like is you're supposed to look like thin. You're supposed to look, you know, curvy. You're supposed to look, but but not too curvy. And like there's just so many like, and you can't be too thin, but you can't. You have to be, like you have to be perfect. Right. Well, think of it like proactive commercials. Like, and I genuinely think the people that make some of this stuff are doing it for a purpose of like, sure. no, this is gonna be great for your confidence. You're gonna feel good. Like, here's proactive. But anytime that that commercial pops up, anyone who has acne, even if they weren't worried about it, is going to are start now are, like that. Is, is now worried about it, right? And so it's just this mind control. Mm -hmm. Like we are truly spent. We like the the beauty industry makes an obscene amount of money off of our fear yep a fear of not being connected to others or being exactly because, because this is the only thing that will make you look beautiful mm -hmm. right and so i just think that that's a really ex fine example of like the fact that we are sometimes being controlled by things that we don't even realize well i appreciate the advertisements that are out there the dove's a company i think does a good job of it though specifically on the beauty side of things of like hey like buy these things because you want to because you want to be the confident person that you are you can be confident without them but like if you want them they're here for you and i like appreciate that but yeah. um and again it's kind of that that is it is hopeless right and so the, the warden is walking them through the ship and he is stripping away hope at every option that he can because he has an awareness that opportunity without hope it means nothing um and so how does that kind of come back to that and so george sakay is a. Uh, is taking away all the all the hope from everyone. Katara finds Haru on the ship. Um, he introduces her to his dad, um, and we see that his dad has a lot of control. Yes, in, I wrote that down too. In this moment of, he's taking control in what he believes he can, which is people come to him and say, "Hey, you know, the elderly need blankets." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he, so, like, and, I he wonder, and he divvies up what people are supposed to be doing. Well, and I wonder why he's the one who's in charge. What gives him that control? Is right. it because he is a, a good leader that people respect and care for? And mm -hmm. so they trust him with those decisions? Is it because he was the leader of the village back home? Is it because, like, why does he have control in this moment? Right? And I'm, I think it's interesting because I think this is a good example of the opposite of the warden, where he is leading 
and control like by doing by with compassion yeah rather than with fear so i just think that's interesting well and then with so katara you know y'all are all these powerful benders and i've heard these stories and she gives this passionate speech and then again we get this moment of it doesn't really matter because without hope well and i think this is really interesting too because i think about the dynamic of like leaders and followers here so like if our leadership have no hope and perception of like they that they have control then what does that say to the followers Mm -hmm. right if you have that that care the charisma and if you are the one who is seen as a role model and a leader and you don't perceive that you have any control and you're hopeless that is very uh trickle down into your followers Mm -hmm. as well and i wonder how often we don't realize that people are following us and are looking to us to have hope yeah right and well again we have this moment again where the warden even says ah nice speech but it's not worth anything like yeah well and katara is so undaunted by this narrative mm-hmm. like she tries and she hasn't lived in it for five years yes she's so like undaunted by it so she tries to inspire through this speech and this hope and there's zero convincing right and so the warden doesn't do anything about this speech he just doesn't he just doesn't care right and so i think it's really interesting this first time because katara like a lot of people would have given up after that and she says well there's nothing i can do now but she still is convinced that there's something that she can do well and so what happens now is we get ang and Sokka come up on on appa and they say hey it's time to go you've had your amount of time but we've got to get out of here and she says i'm not giving up on this like she still has hope that she can make a change and then two fire nation soldiers go up to the ship that is connected to the brig and they get to the warden and say hey we just saw a flying uh buffalo bison thing well is it a bison or is it a buffalo and the guy goes i don't know if it really matters and because because of this who are you to say exactly you don't get to control control this and so he throws this guy over and then overboard and then finds out that that was the captain um, of the ship and so how often because of a need of control um when people question that or take a little bit back do we then as we try to grasp do something that's super harmful or damaging to even us Mm -hmm. by trying to grip that control back which is what he does he says i want control of this situation back i'm throwing you overboard to the detriment of, all right, we need to get the ship ready. Yeah, you just threw the captain overboard. So what does that say to the rest of the crew as well? What is the message that the warden is sending, right? The message is, if you don't listen to everything that I say, no matter what I say, you're, you might die. Yep. Right? And so that's not very conducive to a positive work environment. Well, there oh, problem-solving <laughs> solutions. If the, like, like, are you willing I'm not, to be I'm, creative in this situation? I've got the... I've, you know would one person sit there in the future when all the earth vendors start attacking back be able to say like i have the right solution on how we could stop this nope but i'm not going to share it because that's going to do more damage to me than than all this going down well then we get uh you know they use the same they have some brain stick that they used the first time which was ang's gonna use vents He's going to close them off and then send coal to everyone. And then that way they can use that and they can fight back. And it doesn't happen until 
Katara is about to be in trouble. Uh, Haru steps in and does something, and then we have another moment where now Dad is finally ready to step in and help Haru. Well, it's before that, though. I think we need to break that down a little bit. So, like, even with the coal, after Katara's second speech, the Earthbenders don't, don't do, do anything. anything. And then the Warden perpetuates this, this feeling. Right. right. He continues to tell this story. And I think at this moment, had Haru not done anything, Katara would have been broken. Yep. I think that that is the turning point and the tipping point where Katara would have been like, I, I can't I, help them. I can't help them anymore. Yep. And so Haru then does something. And I think it's interesting that it's Haru because it's not any of the people who have been on the ship for years. It's the one who's been on there the shortest amount of time mm -hmm. and the one who is also closest in connection with Katara yep. that steps up. And so I think it's really interesting there. And then we have the dad does the same thing because Haru is now in danger. Yeah. Dad stepping in to do something. And so we get this moment of of hopelessness. Um, if you want control of a situation, for the positive things, you have to, you, there has to be action. You can't sit back and assume that it's going to happen for you. If yeah. you want something to change, if you want something to be different, you have to take a step in the, and you have to, there has to be action behind those words. Yeah, I mean, there's a really cool TED talk on starting a movement. Um, it's like, I think, I think a five minute TED talk, not one of the Yeah, it's ones. really quick. Um, but like it, what a starting a movement looks like, it, there's one person who's doing something and then there are the early adapters and that's Haru. And then there's this tipping point where people jump in. And so like the early adapter is Haru and then there's dad that follows suit and all of a sudden everybody's like, okay, there's the, there's this tipping point, right? We see it in in the episode. Like there's a point where everybody starts participating because yep. of the series of events that happened before it. And I think that it's really interesting. Like if we want to start a movement, it requires perseverance, it requires hope, it requires all these things. And I think that it's just really interesting. And so if you're I think it's a really cool TED talk that was illustrated very well in this episode right here. Well, and then finally, they gather all the coal. Um, they've done so much damage to the brig and the ship. And they drop the Fire Nation soldiers over the railing. They're into the water. I can't swim. We, You know, the warden at this point has zero control over anything. Howard's float. And you see him immediately ask for forgiveness and ask for all these things and mercy. Too late. Um, and, and he gets dropped in the water. And then everyone runs off, and uh, I can't remember. Does the brig go down? Nope. They have control over the, the ships the, yeah, at this point. Yeah. yeah. And so then they are they they take the ships back um, away from the brig and, and take everybody back. Um, this the one question. All this happens really quickly. Yep. Did they forget about the people who were in solitary? Because we never see them like break out of solitary. We just see the guys who are on the ship like go. And so the dude who sneezed oh, God, is he not. just there <laughs> like to die? I'm gonna assume the best. Here. <clears throat> I hope not, but we never see them like break out. We see everybody like get them all on the ships, and they get on the ships and they go away. But if you're in solitary at a point that's like in this deep hole in the brig, like did they go get you? Did yeah. they remember you were there? Did they know yeah. you were there? Yikes! Um, I'm gonna go ahead and assume the best and assume that they were broken free very quickly, um, and that they are enjoying a nice life in the Earth Kingdom. So then it ends uh, where, like, you know, Haru's talking to Katara and says, it wasn't the coal, Katara. It was you. Right? And I You think were the catalyst. You for were this. the catalyst for this. And he doesn't say that. He said, like, it was you. And so, like, again, 
the narrative of telling Katara that like you have so much control you have like what does that say about her future actions right that the confidence that she now has because this after a long series of failures that it finally worked I wonder what that says about her confidence and her competence around doing this in the future well and then they, and I think it, you kind of mentioned it earlier where's the balance between confidence and arrogance right and yeah. where's that because at, at, at a certain point that line when you're acting within your ability and confident about things that you can do realistically mm-hmm. versus what you actually have control over and the perception of control. Well, I think that the difference between confidence and competent or confidence and arrogance is confidence is you are confident because you are competent around the things that you know and arrogance is you assume that you know more than you do. Right. Right, and so therefore, it is no longer confidence. It has exceeded that confidence and turned into arrogance. Yep. So, any other thing? That's the episode. Is there anything else well, that you wanted I, to wrap up or touch on before we jump I into think, our final segment? Yeah, I think that final scene is something I want to talk about. With Zuko has picked up and found Katara's necklace. Yes. And so he now theoretically has some control over Katara because because she wants that necklace and because it has sentimental value to her, he now has one method that he can control her if she lets him right like it is well it is her choice whether she lets that affect her but zuko has control here over at least some aspect of katara so i think that's interesting yeah all right we will be back in just a second with our final thoughts on the episode sounds great back again uh, for our final thoughts on this episode and it is an earth week and so we're thinking through things as as a kind of deal with the earth qualities clear as mud and through the structure our lens of control um so ben what is it what how do you merge those two things for you in this upcoming week what are things that you want to focus on yeah the thing that comes up for me is I am generally someone who likes control and I think that's sometimes to my detriment and so I'm trying to figure out how do I trust the, I think about like earth, earth is the the structure around me, the things that are foundationally keeping me maintained and safe and structured and so I'm trying to figure out how I can let go of control in my want and my craving for control by learning to develop a little bit more trust in the systems and processes that are helping me and uh, are there any systems and processes that I can create that will allow me to not have to focus on maintaining control and so I there are several that come to mind just around the house and so I, I think that really analyzing that putting them into practice will be will take some mindfulness from me. So I need to keep that in the forefront of my mind. That's awesome. I think for me, I want to have, we talked a lot about today, how, what the role that fear plays in control um, as a control tactic. And as we think of things, I think of the organizational structures that are outside of 
um, my own home, but like the ones that are in place around me at work, um, and the society that's built up around me. And, and I want to build a hyper awareness of how many of those structures are built on a place of fear. Um, and I think with that awareness, that'll allow me to be able to enact more change with my skill set and the skill sets of those that um, surround me and, and how do we create more structures that are based off of hope and compassion as opposed to, to fear in a sense of control. Big stuff. Yeah, that's not something I can accomplish in one week. Yeah, I don't um, think you will be able to do that either. But I think that uh, uh, gaining the awareness of some of those processes this week is something that I want to to really look at. All right. Well, we want to hear from you too. So if you're listening and you are really interested in sharing your lens and how you plan to work through your concept of control through a lens of earth, please give us a shout out at the arc of E. We'd love to hear from you. Yep. That's Twitter, Instagram, or the arc of E at gmail.com. We would love for you to share your stories. What did this episode mean to you um, through any lens that you look through it at? But but uh, what is, what is this show? What have past episodes really meant to you? Email us those stories, and uh, we'll likely read them in future episodes. Thanks again for listening. We love doing this podcast, and we're excited to do even more episodes. Next week, we have episode 7, which is Winter Solstice Part 1, The Spirit World. And we're going to look at that through a lens of agency. Um, and so that'll be the next time. So please join us for that. I'm Sunshine Mayfield. I'm Ben Pruitt. And this has been Bending Not Breaking. Thank you so much for listening.